0: Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. We are here. Our patience has been rewarded. We didn't freak out. And the gods have given us just an incredible match to talk about. And we are here to do it today. Before I get any further, please check out our Twitter feed at WDR Podcast. That is WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And don't forget to give us a five-star. Leave us a review on iTunes like you would leave a review of Harry Kane today. That's what I'm asking you to do. Without further ado, we are here to talk about Tottenham Hotspur's exciting 3-2 victory over Manchester City. And I am joined, Brian is on the slopes this week, so he couldn't he couldn't be bothered to join us because I, I assume he's too busy brushing his teeth with his finger. And uh, instead, we are joined by a uh, long-lost uh, podcast co-host, Michael Cayley. Michael, welcome back to Wheeler Dealer Radio.
2: Ah, it's great to be here. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, I would like to officially condemn the crimes of the Cultural Revolution before we get started.
0: You know, you know, you have you have a Patreon podcast, so I think it's important that you don't cost yourself money here. <laughs> ben Daniels coming to us from Atlanta. Do you have anything you want to say to that?
1: I mean, look. <laughs> 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 the cultural... The revolution may have killed a lot of people, but it also helped a lot of people get to work on time. So it's impossible to say whether it's good or bad.
0: I mean, you've got to look at both sides, right?
2: It's, it's, the, only, it's the only fair way to...
0: <laughs> well, now that we've gotten that important disclaimer out of the way, I think it's time to talk about Manchester City uh, against Tottenham Hotspur. Ben, I want to start with you. We Spurs fans were, you know, not having a good couple weeks, but... You know, like the leaders of the community, we are as, as, as the two, as two of the three members of the internet's most reasonable Tottenham Hotspur podcast, we kept our cool. And I think we were amply rewarded by the performance we saw on, on, uh, Sunday. Don't you think?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I firmly think that this is Spurs paying us back for our level heads and, <laughs> Everybody who were melting down over the last couple of weeks shouldn't be allowed to enjoy this one,
0: <laughs> Michael. Just you know, if you look at the numbers, this was inevitable, right?
2: Exactly, the, the, the numbers predicted this because uh, Tottenham have been like pretty good over the last period of time, and Manchester City have been exceptionally good. So a a fair game between them would be a Tottenham victory. That that was what, that was what I predicted beforehand.
0: Okay, I, I think you know the the numbers don't lie. It spells trouble for Pep at sacrifice. So I hope three people who listen to us got that. Um, yeah, I think I think something the Spurs fans really don't appreciate is just how funny it is. How funny our results against Manchester City have been over the I last year. Every
1: Spurs fan appreciates that. I, think I don't Spurs think they don't appreciate do. Anything else we appreciate this. This is like the one. It's like our, our national holiday. So we get to play Man City and like dick them over and we all have a good time.
0: It like it doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter how bad we are. We just find a way to ruin their Nuno beat City with with Spurs. He didn't draw City. He beat City. We're responsible for like 40% of their drop points this year. That's incredible. That's hilarious. That's incredible. That's just, it's so much fun just turning over City like this.
1: Yeah, I think there's a stat that he lost to Pochettino, Jose, Nuno, and now Conte. And this is by far, I think, the most losses to different managers at the same club that Pep has ever experienced. Can can you imagine Ryan Mason?
0: Ryan Mason slid one in there when he could.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, we'd have a trophy this yeah. thing about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be
2: really good. But, like, unlike so many of those games where we dicked over a city by scoring, like, the funny thing is we scored, I think, what was it, three of our six shots in this game? Something but like
0: that, yeah. We
2: also, like, Kane missed a huge chance. We had a goal disallowed for offside. We had another good chance. Like, it was not in any way a game where Spurs just sort of, like, lucked into a result against City, which is very different from a number of the wins we had uh, under other managers.
0: Well, if anything, I I know I'm going to sound like just a bitter... I'm going to sound like our friend Vince here. Like, I think City was getting the That's run... That
1: go-to for bitter?
0: No, no, I'm, I'm going where I'm going with the minute. Like I think, like, if anyone was getting, like, lucky on the day, it was City, because the referees just weren't calling... They weren't calling, like, every tactical foul that City made. They got what is maybe... Maybe dubious is too strong a word, but certainly a generous penalty at the end of the match. You know, like, I think... I, I think it's kind of amazing how well we did, considering, like just how much wasn't going our way in this game in terms of certainly like the penalty and the mischances that we had and the, the, the goal that was, I mean, yeah, Kuliszewski was offsides on that offsides goal, but like, you know, I feel like we're all of the opinion. There are certain teams that if they'd done that to us, they would have gotten away with it. So
1: there's always a feeling when you have a goal disallowed, no matter how correct that decision may have been that like the ball being in the back of the net meant something and, like, you're not going to get more of those, <laughs> you know? Well, I
0: think there's something to be said for, you know, like, okay, like, Kuliszewski was off sides, but it wasn't like, it's not like Kane was offsides when he scored the goal. It's not like he had an advantage on those defenders, which is irrelevant to this conversation. But I don't know. It's, I, I know, Ben, I think we exchanged some messages during the game. Like, it felt to me, and I, 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 this is probably just sour grapes from being a Spurs fan playing a much better team, but, like. City's so good on their... I mean, they're just incredible to watch. And it just feels like they don't need this kind of help from the referees. But it seems like they get it anyway. And I think it's just the benefit of the doubt you get when you're that good at any sport. But it's just... It's just, you know, it's like... City doesn't need their help to beat our brains in. And yet...
1: I mean, I think that's honestly what makes it so much sweeter. I think... Every time we like screw City over with like we take two shots and score two goals and they score take twenty shots and don't score or we get a a a hefty helping hand from VAR in uh, in the Champions League, you know I think in those moments that like yeah that's that's somehow sweeter than actually beating the shit out of Man City because it's it's so funny how comically undeserved it is, but I think what I I've realized now. It's it's way funnier when they have, like, all of the karmic helping and all of the divine intervention, and they lose anyway because we were so much better than them on the day. Like, yeah, that's, that's way better. But I, I think that's
0: what I think Spurs deserve a lot of credit for. I think given the construction of our sides, given where we were in the table. I, I don't think Spurs play... I don't think you could expect Spurs to play much better than they did. They they were excellent on the day. And, you know, I think there was a maybe 30-minute period towards the end of the first half and bleeding into the beginning of the second half where City were really kind of putting us under siege. But other than that, like, I think largely we kept our defense... Like, our defense kept them, you know, as, as sort of under control as you're ever going to keep Manchester City... And we were—I mean, Michael—I think you said it earlier. We were creating all these really good chances, sort of every time we had the opportunity. It wasn't just like okay, someone hits a ball down the field and they get and we get loose behind their defense. Like, I mean, we were stringing together some impressive passing moves, you know, when we had the opportunities. I was just—I mean, Michael, I'm interested to hear what you have to say because usually you're the one to throw cold water on these things, but I, I think this was a really impressive performance.
2: Yeah, no, I I completely agree, and I think that it, other part of the like you know where the bounces is that the one big bounce that didn't go our way was city's one good chance the 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 good the Gundogan goal mm-hmm. because you know that is a ball that hugo should control and and he ends up in sort of a 50-50 with de bruyne and doesn't doesn't get his job done like you know they they did not manage to break us down the center backs managed to make plays you know the other goal obviously is I mean, I think it's a penalty. His hand is – when you dive in and your hand's up there, you're going to get called for a penalty every time when the ball hits your hand. But, like, it's not like he was doing that to prevent City from getting an obvious huge scoring chance. It's, you know – so th- they had a good amount of good fortune on both of their goals, whereas Tottenham created goals from, I mean – it's just the purest expression of the patterns you could want. Uh, Conte had that, Conte posted on Instagram that it wasn't counterattacks. And like, I think that there's a bit of a, you know, I think that sometimes people like talk about counterattacking, like it's like a secondary form of football or, and, and, you know, I think that there's something to be said, that like, you know, Burnley long balls are, you know, not particularly impressive as a form of football, even if they can be effective. But whether the you are able to move directly from your end to the other end off of an opposition turnover or off of a, a quick start possession off of a goal kick doesn't really matter. What what Spurs were able to do was there were certain patterned possessions that they could do where they moved very quickly from one end of the of of the pitch to the other. And they were able to not necessarily because City's defense was out of shape because there was a turnover, but because they managed to string together two passes very quickly, then they could get City's defense out of shape. And, you know, this is what Conte does. Conte has ways of tr- drilling his teams to play very, very direct in possession and break through the opposition. And we, we I mean, Spurs did that four times in this game like to brilliant effect. I,
0: I want to there's I think there's a lot of really star performances to talk about, and I don't want to be counterintuitive here. So I think we need to start with Harry Kane. I think this is the best performance I've seen of Harry Kane in a Spurs shirt, probably any shirt. I, I I think he was enormously impressive. I'm not the first one to say it. Lots of I know that the all the athletic guys have said this. I'm sure lots of Spurs fans on Twitter, but it was sort of. For a game where we weren't dominating possession or even having possession that much, I think Kane, we saw sort of everything Kane do, has done over the course of his career to be a great striker. He was a clinical finisher. He was making great passes from midfield. He was moving the ball around. He was hitting. He was pinging just immaculate crosses around. I, I, I think I don't want to get too far into transfer talk today, but there is like a level at which I think. Whether emotionally or just from a cost benefit analysis perspective, that we were all ready to let Harry Kane go this summer. And I think this is the game where if Daniel Levy wants to argue this is why you like stick to your guns and hold on to Harry Kane, this is the game that I think he would use as evidence. It, I I cannot overstate how good Harry Kane was on this day. It was it was an enormously impressive uh, performance and generally, I think the English media gets carried away with these things. I think all the ink that has been spilled over how good Harry Kane was is entirely deserved. This was, I, I think, he just did everything Harry Kane has done well over the course of his career. He did almost all of it in this game as well.
1: I think the thing that's interesting about the is this the best Harry Kane or best Spurs single performance ever? Is like, I'm, it's an, an interesting way of talking about what the best is because we've seen Harry. Score more goals. We've seen Harry have more assists. We've seen Harry take more shots. We've seen Harry do a lot um, in much more dominant settings, where he is just all over the other team as like a just a unstoppable force. I think the thing that makes his performance against Man City um, so remarkable is that we had so little of the ball and we had so few attacks, but every time he touched the ball, he maximized you know the value of the ball at his foot he did the right thing the right time pretty much every time you know the way he sprung counters the way he got any chances the way he you know let people in behind it was just any time he used the ball was pretty much perfect
0: and it wasn't Um, it wasn't one of those Mourinho performances where like oh we pulled off two counter attacks really well and that was enough like there was I I agree with what you're saying Ben there's but there was a a large enough sample size for it to be really impressive as opposed to like a couple isolated incidents.
2: And and the striking thing is that it wasn't just that, like, you know, it wasn't just Kane playmaking like his pass for son on the, on the first goal is, you know, fantastic. It, It is what makes that, that, that goal happen. And he had a couple of other really good diagonals where we played the attack off of him and he was a crucial part of the patterns. But those sorts of performances, I think can be can be a little bit misleading when we've seen Kane over the last couple of seasons have, have performances where, wow, he played a couple of great long passes, but he wasn't actually getting into the penalty area and we were I remember we were, we were talking about this in the chat room as it was going on, and right as we see the move for the second goal, where Kane is involved in the buildup, but then he is the one busting it to get into the penalty area and get on the end of the pass from son. That's what happens on the, on on the big chance goal that that, the big chance uh, that, that he doesn't score. And so this was, so Kane was here both being a facilitator and a creator and getting on the end of good chances in the penalty area and finishing two out of three of them.
0: And it's – I think that second goal, I mean, I I have to, like, really consider it. Maybe get a little further away from this game. I think it's my, my favorite Harry Kane goal. Like, I mean, that goal, he hits that just cross across the field. And then as soon as they get possession back, he sees the space. He sees that City's not – you know, they're, they're leaving space open right in front of the goal mouth. And he just starts running right away. And he's there to meet the ball. And it's – and then his finish is just – I mean, I think it's a very tricky finish, actually, if you go back and watch it. It's just – it, it was incredible. It's like, it's again, like the, this game, I think is the argument for like, don't sell Harry King, like figure out how to keep him and ride until the wheels come off. If you, if you want to make that argument, this is the game you use to make that argument.
1: I don't know that it's the best Harry King goal. Like he'll always have that arsenal goal in his pocket. You're right. You're, you know what? That's outrageous.
0: That's a little tainted because we didn't win that game, but that is both in terms of technical quality and circumstance. Incredible.
1: But I mean, yes, I think you know. I, it's a shame that of all the three goals we scored, the one he didn't score is probably the one that's going to like loom largest in my memory for a long time because it was such an immaculately worked move with so many good moments along the way, and Harry Kane did such a great job popping up, splitting the center backs, and I but, just don't know how he didn't score. <laughs> but have you
0: considered that for all for how beautiful that could have been? We also just got the raw power of him trucking Kyle Walker for the game winner in stoppage time. That yeah, that was another nice. That was pretty nice. Like
1: It's like it's that and like the Harry Kane assist to Ryan Mason against Man U like 6 years ago that was like a backheel through ball that Mason flubbed that's just like would have been like one of Harry's best highlights but didn't come off for some reason that this goes in that pantheon of what could have been it was just it was it was
0: great and it's like I mean it's funny because we've had these misfires the last few weeks I'm sure we'll have more as the season goes on but you watch the way I mean the team as a whole but certainly Kane plays and you're just like yeah we're gonna finish fourth like I mean it's just I mean it, it was so good it was so much fun to watch I mean it's almost enough to make me forgive him like last summer was bad but god if he plays like this like I mean, I'll forgive a lot if he keeps playing like this.
1: I mean, I think the secret is just blame Charlie. Yes. You know, Charlie needed that payday, and he was worm-tonguing in Kane's ear, and that's the only reason he ever wanted to leave his boyhood favorites. He loves us just as much as he ever did.
0: It's just, I, I think, I mean, again, like, we've said it, Michael said it, you said it, Ben, I said it, every other Spurs podcast has said it, I feel like. It's just, I don't know if we've ever seen Kane do it all in such an impressive fashion like this. Like, where it's like he's, like you said, he's playmaking, he's creating chances, he's finishing chances, he's just doing it all. And it's, I mean, you know, like, if you're Kane, like, the one thing that I think would, like, I understand as much as he's a snake and it was annoying and he handled it poorly, like, I get why he won it out this summer. But, like, the thing you have to, like, consider, I think, if you're Kane, even though a team like City, you're more likely to win trophies or whatever, is, like, Spurs are going to keep hiring managers like Antonio Conte. Like, I didn't think it was... Like, I thought Conte would use Kane well. I didn't think he could, like, unlock more portions of his game. But here we are. Like, I think Conte's made Kane even better. And it's been, like, what, three months? Like, maybe? You know, like, I mean, if you're Kane, that's the reason to hang out. Like, Spurs keep hiring either elite managers or managers you consider elite. So...
1: And we hired Nuno. Like it wasn't that long ago. You're right. We hired Nuno.
0: You're right. But only because we didn't hire Conte <laughs> in the summer. So
2: now K- Kane's expected goals and assists per ninety since Spurs hired Nuno are, I think, better than anyone in the Premier League. Mean, they might mean, be behind Jada. Uh, you mean
0: Conte? Yeah.
2: You know, since since we hired Nuno, our manager Nuno.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry. No,
2: no I, 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 I I meant Conte. I just, um, Okay. the, 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 the flip is like incredible. Like some of it clearly is he's playing himself into shape. Some of it may be like, I don't really buy the desire, ex- the desire explanation. I do think that like this last summer, he was just like not fully in shape when he came back. But I think there's a level of him, being, him playing a lot better.
0: I think there is a level of him just being not only utilized better, but. I think he is engaged with Conte in a way that he wasn't with Nuno. Like, I, and I, I do think that's true. And you know what? To an extent, like, to, def- like, fair enough. Like, I do understand that. I understand why, you know, you would be able, you would sit up a little more you know, and pay attention more under Conte than you would under Nuno. I do get that.
2: Imagine- I, I thought, I thought he was working hard. I mean, if, watching those games, I always thought he was working hard.
1: It just looked like he couldn't get there, but I mean, I think the like when you talk about give a fucks and like how that manifests, you know, I think being in shape is definitely uh, falls downstream from how much you give a fuck. And I think with Nuno, there's like a lack of focused application and how much he could give a fuck. Like, yeah, he was running around, he was working hard, he was doing things, but it was all kind of aimless because the team was kind of aimless. And, you know, now that he, I think, has a kind of clear tactical strategy a coach who you know probably gives him real instructions about how to play um his ability to have application towards that goal um I think is on another level than whatever he was capable of giving under Nuno even if he had been in like great shape but I think you can read
0: between the lines with like some of the quotes he's given to the press like he is engaged in a way that he was not earlier in the season and I understand why that is because Nuno being like get up there and head it in or whatever the fuck he was telling him versus like the Harry, here are the you know, as you would say, Michael, the capital T, capital P patterns. Uh, you know, like I, I I think he is just like I think he's loving this. And that is like, you know, again, if he didn't love Mourinho so much, I would I would have a lot more truck with Harry Kane's like, you know, I want the good managers. Like, I I I would I would have a lot more respect for that. But he thought Mourinho was good, so
2: yeah, I mean I don't I don't think that like Harry Kane wanting it more makes Harry Kane this good. You know, Harry Kane Harry Kane always wants it. Like the whatever yeah. whatever you say for him, like the the guy play the guy loves scoring goals to, like too much. It what what's making this work is much more that you know he's part of a system that is creating for him and he has a manager telling him to do something that his last couple of managers haven't really told him to do. Like Conte keeps saying this in the press, that the way you unlock Harry Kane is he needs to be in the penalty area. He needs to be doing what he does best in the penalty area. Antonio Conte gets that no matter how many diagonals you can, you can play, no matter how many times you can do that, Getting four shots off in the penalty area is worth more than that. Well, especially if you're Harry Kane doing that.
0: Especially if you're Harry Kane and you can finish like that. I don't want to talk too much about Kane other than, like, God, if he keeps playing like that, I'll forgive him. Um,
1: But (laughs) I mean, I just think the last thing to say is that, like, it is clear that, you know, whatever Harry Kane was going through, whatever Harry Kane felt about not leaving, um, you know, we've seen guys under Conte. Not give their all and not buy into whatever tactical regimen that he is trying to impose. Um, and I think there's no question that Harry Kane is totally on board with everything that's happening. And as long as that continues to be the case, which, like Michael said, he fucking loves scoring goals. There's no reason it wouldn't be. Well, I think. I mean, that's say that's, what, that's the best you can ask for.
0: Say what you want about Kane, but like, I mean, again, like we talked, I just talked about Mourinho, but like he's no idiot. Like he sees what Conte can do. He's like, he's smart enough to realize I'm gonna, i want to, I want to ride on this train. And like, for whatever reason, other guys weren't, but you know, kudos to him for buying in. Cause as, as this weekend showed, it's sure is fun to watch. And I think Michael, your numbers have sort of proven this out with what you were talking about with his XG. Like, I mean, he's been firing like crazy ever since Conte got here. He just hasn't been finishing at the same level, but like he's been playing, I think he's been playing at a very high level for, the last two months or, or so,
2: I think he's been the best striker in the Premier League.
0: Like, yeah, I don't think. I mean, yeah, I can't think of anyone who I would can com- you know compete with. Uh,
1: what, what does Mo Salah have to say about that, Michael? <laughs> is she getting a not technically a striker pass in <laughs> <from> this conversation?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, basically, I would say that you know Kane doesn't is not the best striker in the Premier. League over the last couple months, if you include finishing, and finishing is important. But Kane is going to start finishing, and if he keeps playing like this, he will, as such, be playing better than Mosala.
0: So, um. I don't want to just talk about Harry Kane, uh, because A, he's a snake, and B, there were other people worth talking about. I want to talk about our new favorite, uh, Dijon ski I was really impressed with Kulishevski during this match. Ben, I, I mean, do you have any thoughts about our new Scandinavian, uh, wunderkind
1: Nope. Um, oh well, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I think, like, I hate to say this because he had a goal and two assists. Um, and the thing that looms largest in my mind is just like his weird non-celebrations. and Like, his I mean, he's his, a weirdo.
0: Like, let's let's get that one out of the way. But so was Christian Eriksen. Christian Eriksen was a huge weirdo.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I'm happy to have like another Scandinavian weirdo on board. Don't get me wrong. Uh, who
0: apparently like believes in UFOs and shit. Like
1: he just has such intensely weird vibes that like. Did you
0: watch his <laughs> did you watch his like post match interview they did? Where like again, I have nothing but sympathy for this guy where he's like trying to piece together something to say after he's been running around for 90 minutes. And he just sort of arrives at the end at fours us spurs because like what the fuck else is he gonna say. Yeah, I, I
1: mean I th- I think the thing that, like, I, I have mentioned with Kulisevsky earlier on um, after we signed him was the value he adds by occupying that space that isn't Lucas and isn't Emerson Royale um, mm-hmm. on the right side of-, of midfield and how, you know, I- as much as I'd like to have a better wing back there... Kulishevsky can do the creative uh, creativity and the the chance creation and the ball progression from those areas that make it less crucial that we have a, a good outlet from right wing back. And I think that was the real, real key for me this match was seeing him pop up and collecting those balls out wide. Um, you know, we saw it in the goal that got disallowed. We saw it on the goal um, that Kane scored for the winner, you know, you imagine that last chance falling to Emerson's feet and him trying to put in a cross or him trying to do something. And it does, it probably doesn't go as well. Um, And I'm just very grateful to have a presence like that out there who has the presence of mind and the technical ability to turn those opportunities and make those smart runs and then turn those opportunities into good chances and not like, hopeful speculative crosses. Yeah. And the guy he's replacing there is Lucas,
2: who once again, like, and Lucas has played well under Conte, but what Lucas is mostly good at is he can drive progression, drive the ball forward. And he can like in traffic and he can get on the end of some chances. But what Kulisevsky gave us out there was possession quality. That when we got the ball to Kulishevsky, like, he would be able to keep the ball and move it forward in, in a safe way. Lucas is going to lose possession a lot. And then what he's going to do best in the final third is create shots for other people, which again, is really just not something that's in Lucas's game. And those fit so well with Kane and son. Like that is a match with what we need is someone who's going to hold the, who's going to, you know, his defensive work is another huge part of this. You know I mean? he was, you know, he was dropping back into like a back six and still playing as the right forward. And then on top of that, he's someone who, when we move the ball forward, he's going to keep the ball, he's going to make the right pass, and then he's going to be looking to set up one of them for the shot. And, like, that's just a good balance of a front three.
0: Well, I think, Michael, I think you you sort of zeroed in on what I think in some ways we were maybe not expecting but hoping for, which was, you know, he's in that position – in a game where like possession and chances are going to be at a premium and it never felt wasted with him, which is like even in Lucas's best performances, he can be wasteful and you know, it always felt like meaningful or at least sensible possession with him, which I think is something that we struggle with with Lucas. And I think the thing that really surprised me about Kuliszewski and maybe this is purely because I played with him on FIFA once and I just thought he was slow and fat from playing that. But like, he worked his ass off in this game. He was up and down the field. He was running. He was—I mean—he played ninety-some minutes, which, after a year and a half of was Celso, felt like a revelation. I mean, he put a shift in in a way that I wasn't expecting, and I mean, that just might be down to I don't watch a lot of Juventus or Parma before that, but you know, I, he just put a shift in in a way I wasn't expecting, and I think there might be a tendency to sort of underrate the sort of. I don't know, physicality might not be the right word, but sort of underrate the effort or whatever of players who aren't fast, like, you know, a Kyle Walker or a Lucas. And he just was, the, I don't know, he was very reliable and very productive in a way that I think, especially against City where you're just, you know, you got to make the most of the opportunities you get, was so helpful. And I was just, I'm very, very happy with him, and I'm very high on him right now.
1: I mean, I think that's really the thing is, the fact that against City, you're going to have so few attacking opportunities, being efficient with the ball and like using the ball judiciously is so essential to being able to turn those few chances you have into really valuable attacks. And yeah, he was he was fantastic at that. He was a a good, safe pair of hands as an outlet who also used the ball very creatively that maximized our opportunities. And you know what? He took his goal really well. I thought yep. it was a very good, like late arriving run credit to son for passing the ball. Uh, in that situation, I mean, which Conte's I, a
0: wizard. If he's made that happen.
1: I mean, I would have bet my house on son shooting that straight into the keeper's legs, uh, you know, but like he took the ball. Well, he did enough to like fake out the defender to get the shot away. Clean. Um, Yeah, and then... He nutmegged him.
0: He nutmegged him. That's like a deli goal from, like, two years ago or three years ago, whatever the hell. But...
1: Yeah, uh, he was great.
0: I think uh, our other Juventus boy deserves a mention, too. I think Bentoncourt had another pretty good game for Spurs. Uh, And and honestly, just like I was talking about Kuliszewski's sort of, like, motor took me by surprise. Like, I mean, Bentoncourt again I'm not a Serie A watcher I don't watch a lot of Juventus but considering what people said oh I think we talked about this a little bit last week Ben oh conservative passer he's gonna take you know he's gonna be safe he's a good option like I mean he was his progressive passing remains very impressive to me I mean he that ball he pinged to uh at the end of the match was a, is a great example of that but You know, in a match where, again, possession's at a premium. I mean, he he had all sorts. There's a compilation running its way around Twitter right now of all his great tackles and, you know, dispossessing City. But, you know, I mean, his progressive passing is what has sort of taken me by surprise, at least given what we were told about him.
1: Yeah, Michael, you talked about this the last time you were on, about Betancourt having secretly good passing numbers uh, when Pirlo demanded it of him that maybe suggested that he had more in his toolkit than we were led to believe and that seems to be very quickly proving to be the case yeah it's really interesting because like he really like I
2: have watched a reasonable amount of Surya for my sins and he really (laughs) is a conservative player like he has he generally does not get forward very much he mostly takes the safe pass. And I think that there's a fair case to say that that's kind of like the player that he, like that's what he was when he like came up at like 19 and 20. That's the way that he played for Uruguay at at, at that age. Like, I think that's sort of in his game, but what we're seeing for Tottenham is his technical, technical ability to do more than that. Even as it seems like he still remains like, you know, at his happiest when he is like playing you know in front of the of the back line and clearing stuff out and he's very good at that
0: a lot of people matt law uh were very kind of down on our transfer window but like i mean if this is the kind of stuff we threw together when plan a fell apart like i mean i don't know I'm, i'm maybe we can't just pick off Juventus players forever, but I'm feeling really good about these two guys as long-term options, even if maybe we're looking for another attacker this summer. I mean, I'm feeling really good about both of these guys for us long-term. I mean, it's early days, but both are, I think have done as much as you could ask for us.
1: I mean, in a performance against Man City, you know, when, when both of the new boys only a couple matches into their tenure at Spurs, are showing out like this, you know, I think we had a, a lot of drama over the last week because Conte made a comment that they were young players for the future and not ready-made stars. But, you know, if if these young players for the future are already capable of giving this, you know, you got to feel pretty good about what the future is going to look like.
0: I think it is worth remembering... I, I think the other player I really want to... Oh, there's a few other players I want to discuss, but one I want to make sure we don't forget is Romero. I'm uh, the Boy, he didn't take... I mean, this guy didn't need time to bet in. He is excellent. I mean, he could do it all for a center back. I, mean, I call it... I generally, I think punditry is ridiculous, but I think there's something to he said for... I mean, you watch Jamie Carragher, the way he talks about Romero. I mean... Carragher was a pretty good center back as much as I hate Liverpool. Um, and I mean, Romero, God, he, I mean, I know he gave up a penalty in this match, but uh, that guy does it all. I mean, his passing is incredible. The way he moves around, I mean, the challenges he makes, he really is like, whatever else you want to say about, uh about Paratici, that was a hell of a signing. I mean, he, I mean, I can't imagine a better center back than Romero right now. It's he just he really is the total package.
2: Yeah, and unlike Koleskevski and Bendenker, like we paid full freight. Like, yes, one hundred percent. You know, we we I think that we like got in on a bargain because Juventus needed cash. Yeah, and 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 something somewhat similar with uh, Koleskevski. The, the 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 structuring of it is sort is, is sort of weird, and we mostly we mostly like got out of the downside rather than getting a great deal on the upside. But Romero, we just paid lots and lots of money for a guy who's been an excellent center back in Serie And it is really striking that he was a very aggressive central center back for Atalanta in a very weird system where the central center back has to, like, not like a sweeper behind the back line but kind of like a sweeper behind the midfield and has to run up and do a lot there and then has a lot of freedom to run forward because Atlanta is crazy and 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 now he's playing as a as as a right center back in a very different system and has a lot more ball progression responsibilities and is doing all of that incredibly well too and like that that tactical flexibility I think is the thing that I would take away the most as like a real positive from what we've seen from him.
0: Well, and he's doing it like two weeks, three, whatever the hell it's been three weeks after coming off of a major injury. I mean, I mean, the injury was longer ago, you know, in terms of like getting back into the first team. I mean, he's, I mean, this guy walked off, you know, being his rehab and he's just, I mean, you, you, you wouldn't believe this guy had been out for three months or whatever it's been.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, speaking of, his tactical flexibility he, before this match, we saw him playing centrally to accommodate, <laughs> I guess, accommodate is the right word, Davidson Sanchez to compensate for Davidson Sanchez. And like, he played that very well. We were just limited by having Davidson Sanchez carrying that right center back role, um, seeing Dyer back in the team and him bringing all of his, you know, both organizational leadership, which, you know, I think we're not great at talking about intangibles in in any real meaningful way, but I think it's there. Um, And his ability to pass the ball calmly under pressure, having the two of them in tandem, um, it's just remarkable what a difference it makes, both defensively and offensively. You know, we City took a fuckload of chances um, and took a fuckload of shots against Spurs, but they were very, very limited um to mostly long range half chances nothing particularly threatening and the ability for the two of them and and Davis to play the ball out of the back and like turn winning possession even very deep in our own half into you know meaningful opportunities to go out and attack city it's just what a difference from having to carry, you know, one guy in that back line who can't move the ball to now having three guys who can do it pretty competently. It's just, you got to feel pretty good, you know, as long as those three guys can stay fit.
0: Big F, but, I mean, they all, I mean, Dyer was the other one I wanted to talk about. Like, I mean, honestly, I think one of the most impressive things Conte's done is on our back line. I mean, Romero's great, and I think he would probably be great for anyone who was managing us, but, I mean, Dyer and Davies, like, I mean, I think these are guys that all of us would have driven to their new clubs. Like, I mean, we all, every Spurs fan, I think who wasn't related to them wanted Dyer and Davies out of this club at the beginning of the season. And, you know, like I probably would like us at least on Davies just because of his age, which isn't as old as you think it is. Um, But I would probably like us to upgrade on left, on a left center back next year. But like, if, Davies is in a rotation with someone else next year. I'm not going to be upset by that. I mean, I think Davies has acquitted himself under Conte remarkably well. But, but the, the fact that Conte has just turned both these guys into quality Premier League center backs when both of them didn't look like they knew how to kick a ball under Nuno and Mourinho and even Pochettino, it's, I, I think it's remarkable. I think it's probably one of his biggest successes at Spurs.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's really hard to imagine... like there was a period where like Dyer fell out of the team after he stopped being like a good midfielder with, with Dembele, where, you know, we felt like, Oh, the Deli Dyer bromance is ending because Dyer's not going to be here much longer. (laughs) And seeing how that has actually panned out and seeing that Dyer is now not only still on the team, but like a guy we can't do without, um, is pretty mind blowing, but I'm really pleased to see that. And I'm really pleased to see, like, I've always liked Eric Dyer. Um, he's a wonderful shithead. He's a a good, you know, feels like he cares about being here. He's got a good attitude. It seems, I mean,
0: aside from his choice in podcasts, he seems like a smarter than your average footballer.
1: Yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, you know, but. No, but it's like, that guy's like, I remember, I, I
0: think it was under Pochettino in the Champions League final season. I mean that guy didn't look like he played in the Premier League anymore and I think that was when he was suffering from a, like an injury or illness or something but like I mean he didn't look like he could play, he could hang with Premier League footballers anymore and now you know he's helping us like with our probably most solid win against City in years it's I mean it's genuinely incredible
1: yeah Michael, do you have any interesting numbers about Eric Dyer? <laughs> <laughs> are we just talking about his cool, hard man, shaved head, pointy, shouty attitude? His yeah,
0: Chuck Yeah, do you have a uh, shouty per 90? <laughs> That's Michael.
2: Yeah, no,
1: it, it, I mean,
2: Dyer plays more long balls than most of our center backs. It doesn't really stand out that much. It's one of those things that feels to me like watching the games – you can see how his passing range really makes our build up a lot better that he can just like just skipping one guy with a pass can make a real difference out of, out of the back line in ways that are harder to identify in the numbers that we've got in ways that I think are really interesting. I, th- I think, I think that like, it's an interesting question of how to quantify center back ball progression, how to explain what it is that I think we see from Eric Dyer. It's, it's, it's clearer in Romero's numbers, all the stuff that he's doing and a little bit less clear with Eric Dyer beyond like, you know, a third, a half of a long ball per 90, which doesn't capture the whole thing.
0: Do you think there's something to be said? Cause I've seen it discussed. Do you think there's something to be said for that? Like Flamini factor where like he's pointing and shouting a lot. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, oversimplifying when I say that, but do you think there's something to be said for like a calm, like sort of general on the back line who is like marshalling everyone and sort of understands what's going on and has a relationship with Hugo. So like someone who just sort of is able to keep every, keep a lid on everything in a way that maybe we, I mean, I mean, maybe Davies should be that guy. If you know, he's I, I not think, there. There, I think
2: you, there's no question that like defense is all about, like relationships and communication. And, and the only way that a team defense works is if all of the players are moving in ways that are coordinated and when they lose their coordination, they end up like conceding chances and goals. I am somewhat skeptical that we can actually see that coordination happening in shouting and pointing actions. (laughs) Like I, I, I think that's absolutely real. I'm very skeptical that anything that we can see on television really shows us that happening in a better or worse way. Like are players pointing and shouting more because they are communicating less well. Like that happens when the coordination isn't. I I don't. I just struggle no. to believe that we're really seeing it. No I think one that, like
0: no one pointed and shouted more in worse performances than Harry Winks, and like he's been actually good under Conte for at least a while. So I I do understand that, but I do think there is something to be said for Dyer might have those sort of intangible leadership qualities that you're talking about, Michael. It just might not be because he points and shouts a lot.
1: I mean, look, if you could read Lips, you'd know what Harry Winks is pointing and shouting is, hey, go cover that guy. I ain't running that far. (laughs) And that's different than what Eric Dyer does. But I I mean, I think you're right that like the... (laughs) The translation of points and shouts per 90 to defensive organization is maybe not clear. But it's hard on the body of his work so far to discount that Eric Dyer seems to bring a calming and organizational presence to that back line um, that looks more coordinated and better organized and less Davinson Sanchez. (laughs) But even, like, (laughs) putting that totally aside, which I don't think you can, but
0: let's do it anyway.
1: No, I mean, he played with with David Sanchez. No, 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 I understand that, (laughs) but my point is, putting
0: that totally aside, like, I feel like Eric Dyer for the last, like, three years until Conte got here was someone who kind of regularly be-clowned himself, and that stopped under Conte in a way that, like, I think is like, again, like, I think Conte deserves so much credit for how Eric Dyer's been playing. It's it's uh, Dyer and Davies. I think it's. I think it's been a revelation how how much he's turned those two guys around since he got here.
1: Way to go, Tone. <laughs>
0: Big Tone. Big Tone <laughs> knows talent when he sees it. Uh, <laughs> it. It does seem strike that Antonio Conte, the guy who's like won lots
2: and lots of titles, might be a good coach.
0: But you I know, don't know. I think there is something that's interesting about Conte, and maybe it's just by virtue of his career path, which, I mean, on some level, that's a choice. Let's look at guys like Klopp, Guardiola, Mourinho, to a certain extent, if you want to go back in the midst of time, Ancelotti even. Like, none of those guys is sort of as good at getting a tune out of, like, a flawed roster as Conte. And I think we're seeing it as first. but we saw it at Inter, we saw it with his the Italian national team, we saw it when he was first at Juventus. The, the Atsuri is the one
2: that really stands yes, out. Yes, like, it's very yes. hard to imagine Pep or Klopp like getting in charge of an international team and having them play recognizably Pep or Klopp football.
0: Not just that, like that is. I mean, you Pretty listen to incredible. someone. No, but you listen to someone like Gab Marcotti, who is an Italian national team fan. Like, that's the worst Azuri team in ages. It's certainly, like, I mean, that's dog shit compared to what they're dealing with now. I mean, he. I mean, Klopp... Got, that team uh, sucked. Yeah, yeah, Conte did really well with that. I mean, that was one of the reasons I was so excited about him coming here was, I mean, that was a garbage Italian national team, and he really got them playing well. And, you know, there's something about Conte, and maybe it's just circumstance. Maybe if you put Klopp in charge of these teams or Guardiola, I'm a little skeptical of that, um, like you are, Michael. But, you know, like, Conte gets a tune out of flawed teams in a way that I don't know if any other elite manager really does.
1: I think, yeah, I mean, I think Ancelotti in his heyday was very much in that mold, but I think you're right. Like, a lot of the guys that we hail as, like, you know, the maestros are guys who have very specific dogmatic approaches, require very specific kinds of players to make work, and find themselves at clubs where they can do that. Um, And yeah, Conte has rocked up at the fucking shittiest team in England. (laughs) That is cursed and terrible and deserves nothing. And is He's an Arsenal? The un- He's Arsenal's uniquely manager, Uniquely poisonous club <laughs> in the world. Um, and yeah, it's turned it into this. I mean, it's... we're, so, we're,
0: we're I don't know. I, I'm so impressed with what, what, what Conte's done with us in such a short amount of time. I think before we, we get into broader topics, we, we cannot let a Man City game pass without giving credit to Hunming Son, the man who is single-handedly determined to ruin... Pep Guardiola's time in England, another outstanding performance for Son, someone who maybe not had the best couple performances in the last few weeks, but he was—I thought he was great against City. I mean, just you know, not only was he just outstanding on that first goal, uh, but you know, like I said that earlier, that Conte has taught him how to pass to other players is you know an achievement worthy on its own. It's just. I thought Sun was a menace all day. I thought his runs were smart. I mean, Sun's an excellent, intelligent player, but it was particularly—I mean, he was back to his best on Sunday. I, I, I don't know if either of you guys has any have any deep thoughts on how Sun played, but once again, like I mean, every, he he was extremely good against Manchester City.
1: Yeah, he loves fucking those boys up, doesn't he?
0: <laughs> it's they—they so they should just fucking buy, like we should buy jwp so he stops fucking us over we never play southampton city should buy sun so he stops ruining their season twice a year or three times a year depending on you know what competitions we're in so
2: the thing that was amazing about this sun performance is that i think pep was ready for it like (laughs) pep played kyle walker and like even the, even though he wasn't necessarily on this, on the same side at all times, like Walker was there to track Sun and multiple times he did. Walker played a really good defensive game. He's like one of the best open field defenders. He's like a he was, it was like a, watching a cornerback cover a wide receiver the way he was covering him. and Sun still got chances while matching up against one of the only people in the Premier League who can actually match him for pace
0: and power Two assists. I mean, to, well, First of all, glad glad we're talking about pace and power with with an with an Asian player, which is at least a change of pace. But
2: he is the most pure pace and power player in the world right now, and no one ever
0: talks about it. He's so good. He's he's so good. One of the things I love about Son is every time you're kind of like, uh, is he having the best year? He has a game like this where he just creates two incredible goals. What do you? I was a little surprised to see. Like, I, I don't know what. I mean, they, they created, like, 15 goals together under Mourinho, it felt like. But, like, right now, Son and Kane are tied with Lampard and Drogba for the most, like, combination goals in Premier League history, which I was a little surprised by, to be honest with you. Like, I, he's been such a good player for us. It's, it's so much fun to watch him play. I don't, I don't know if I have any question here, other than does anyone have anything nice to
1: say about Hunming Sun? I mean, I think Sun has been, like, unfairly derided by Spurs fans because he is – you know, he he goes through phases of inconsistency, um, and that's like, his, like, one knock on, like, greatness is that there are games where, like, you just, like, get really frustrated by him. But even during that stretch of inconsistency, he was still racking up a goal or an assist in almost every game for, like, the last eight games. You know, like, it's – you want him to be like this dominant force, but even when he's not, he's still very, very good. And I think that is like a corner that he has turned, you know, since Mourinho got here. Not to attribute it to Mourinho, but you know, <laughs> he seems to even when he goes missing, he still has like that ability to like be the guy. Um and he's just I think maybe better when he has to be that guy a little less. Um, And Kane being in, like, a horrific finishing slump for ages has, I think, made people feel worse about Sun unfairly. Um, But, you know, seeing them both firing together on all cylinders is like, I mean, it was enough, just the two of them being good, to get Mourinho's Tottenham into, like, a reasonable position over the course of the year. And now that, like, the rest of the team is coming together behind them it's just very exciting.
0: We talk a lot or I talk a lot on this podcast about like the standards which we judge other teams by versus the standards with, with which we judge our own team by and I think we're a lot harsher on ourselves than we are on other teams. Think about how much we would hate son if you played for Arsenal. Like like if we were viewing this from the other side, like think about how much we would hate that. Like how consistently dangerous he is. Even if you well, know, nobody
1: think, could hate son greg. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's put him in a, him in a red in shirt head. with white
0: sleeves and I think I'd find a way. But my point is, like, he is consistently an extremely dangerous player. And I think it's, like, something that we have an issue with sometimes where, like, he's not Lionel Messi, so we kind of judge it against that. But, you know, he is really one of the most dangerous wide attackers in the world. And it's, you know, honestly, one of the things Spurs need to do in their transfer policy is they need to, like, hit on a guy like Son who's, like, we expect him to be good, and it turns out he's extremely good, and that's one of the things Spurs need to have happen with somebody at some point, because you know we we made some sure bets and they didn't work out. We need to make an okay bet and have it just like win the lottery, like we did with him. So, but I'm very happy. I want to. This is a this is a hang up of mine where like I'm very happy that he's like having his peak with Spurs, and he's going to be remembered like when when. Hunming Sun retires. He's remembered as a South Korean player. Is remembered as a Tottenham player. Like, oh yeah, he played at Bayer. Is going to be part of his narrative. It's going to be Spurs that are the team everyone remembers him for. And I'm very happy about that.
1: You get very excited about like whose jerseys going yes. in the Hall of Fame. That yes, I get extremely <laughs> excited about that.
0: I want, I want. Maybe it comes from rooting for like a regional baseball team in America. But like, I get extremely excited about all time greats being associated with my team, and it makes me very. Happy both in terms of I get to watch it while it's happening, and it makes me very happy when I get to think of like how they're regarded and what I get to go look at and whatever. Like
1: I was Mike great. these days.
0: It's great. It's great. Uh, I don't know. He's not wearing. A, he's he's not wearing anyone's hat in the Hall of Fame, so fuck him. But you know, uh, I, I don't know. Son is son is such a fun player to watch, and this game was, I think, because Kane was so good, it's easy to forget just how
1: just dangerous he was all all day. I really I'm really glad we won this game because like Michael mentioned, you know, the Kyle Walker sun battle that was happening all day was a just a really enjoyable like footballing contest to watch and I would be way less gracious about this if we had lost mm-hmm. or even drawn um but it was just really fun seeing the two of them just chase down long ball after long ball and muscle each other on and off the ball and like I don't know. I feel like you rarely get such, like, marquee matchups like that in a way that feels like a game is almost decided by, like, which of these two players is just going to have a better day. Um, Just a couple of hosses.
0: Yeah. Just Just, just two big meaty men slapping
1: meat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I want those meat slappers.
0: I got to say, Kyle Walker is not someone if you were to just like ask me about like he's not someone I like I don't regard him as highly in terms of like fondness I'm not as fond of him as I would have been if he stayed at Spurs um but if you like ask me on the street he's not someone I hold like a terrible amount of animosity for but I always get like whenever we sort of beat him or house him in particular I get a surprising level of enjoyment out of it like Watching Kane just completely truck him. Never would have produced that. Huh? (laughs) Never would have produced produced that for you. Yeah, (laughs) I I mean, you guys know me well (laughs) enough to know how petty and awful I am. But, like, no, but it's not something like, again, like, if you were like, oh, how do you feel about Kyle Walker, Greg? He's not someone that I am terribly bitter about in the way I'm bitter about other players. But, like, watching Harry Kane truck him for that last goal was just incredibly satisfying in a way that took me by surprise. (laughs)
1: I love Kyle Walker, and to his credit, like, he ran Sun into the dirt. Like, Sun had to get subbed off because Sun was just beat, and Kyle Walker was still fucking going. Like, he's in his 30s now. I have no idea how he has retained the level of athleticism that he has. Like, he's always been a physical freak, but, like, even, again, even in a loss where all of what he did was, like, mostly, like, get his ass stomped on by Kane and Son, I was still just so impressed with, like, what Kyle Walker is capable of as, wow. a, as a footballer. I wasn't. Um, Maybe
0: you should get better at <laughs> headers, so.
1: <laughs> I want to say, speaking of that last goal, a guy who deserves... Some credit here uh, is Lucas, who I have never one to give credit to, but I've watched these goals a lot. Ben, Ben, and... you've already
0: apologized for at least a little bit of the cultural revolution. Are you sure you want to keep going <laughs> in this direction? Um,
1: yeah, this is, I guess, my red-brown tendencies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, as a tanky, I think. <laughs> no, Lucas made a really, really good – Run from the back post across the face of goal that very much disrupted the marking situation in the center of the box that allowed Kane the freedom to dominate Walker uh, on that header and you know like thing about Lucas is like he loves getting in the box and jumping for headers and I think Man City has learned that lesson and uh, it cost them but you know that's it's it's nice to be able to have him as a guy you can bring off the bench and not a guy you're relying on yeah play 90 minutes every week um i think lucas is a depth
0: player becomes a lot a lot more attractive to us as a team than Mm -hmm. if he's starting every week
2: yeah if you've got like the the your, your your two main forwards you could have lucas in the third position ben can appreciate that so does anyone
0: i i mean i think we've talked about it pretty thoroughly i mean i think hugo deserves a little bit of credit like he had a bad It was a bad beat for that goal, but I mean, he he dragged some awesome saves out later on. Uh, Does anyone have any other thoughts on the game you want to get out there before?
1: I guess the one last guy I want to give some credit to is Sessignon, who had a really rough go of things last week. Yes. Uh, yes. I think he didn't have a great start to the game. He was unfairly yanked uh, early on to switch things up. And you know it's tough to come back from something like that like mentally you know he hasn't had a lot of time with this team he hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities and to get thrown back into the fire against man city after that um you know his role in the second goal i think is it was really crucial you know the way he kind of was it the second goal or was it the goal that didn't get scored It was um, the second goal it was the second it was goal. a second yeah. goal <laughs> <laughs> um but, yeah, the way he kind of burst forward to be an, a- an option for, for Sun to pass to, um, to just keep things moving and keep things alive, was just really good heads-up football. I thought he defensively, like, weirdly for a guy who was like a pseudo-wide forward in the championship and, like, scored a fuckload of goals, and that's why we bought him. Um, his defensive performance, I thought, was, was really, really good. Um, you know, if we can get him to contribute more to the attack, Um, like we know he's capable of, um, and not sacrifice anything on the other end. Uh, that would be really good. But, uh, yeah, he had a good day and good for him. I'm rooting for him. I mean,
0: I think, I think it's good that Conte made some really interesting comments about like, he could be one of the best fullbacks in England. It's just like the person who needs to believe that is Sessegnon, which I think speaks to some of what's going on there. But, you know, I think one of the highest compliments I can give a fullback against when you're playing a team like City is, like, I didn't notice him that much. I didn't hear his name called out. I wasn't, like, he wasn't popping up. Like, honestly, like, if you were, and maybe this is just negligible with me as a football watcher, but, you know, like, the only time that I really noticed him in that match was that, um, that second goal. Like, I mean, he was just not a guy where it was like he's getting cooked or he's in a... You know, a dot like just like a fierce battle. It was like, yeah, no, it was pretty quiet on his side of the pitch. And I wasn't, you know, for a guy, especially who's had the luck know, had at Spurs, I think that's a real compliment for me. So,
1: <laughs> Attaboy, Ces.
0: so uh, how's this game rank in, in your all time? Uh, you know, we're, we, we've had some fun wins against City. What, what's your favorite win against City? Where, where, where does this rank in the scale? of just Spurs shithousing City. Ben, let's start with you, and then we'll go to Michael.
1: I mean, I think this is certainly one of our best, maybe probably our best, win over City. No, that's
0: performances, maybe. This is not our best win against City.
1: I mean, that's true. (laughs) Uh, I think for me, the the City win that's always going to stand as the City win is the one that got us into championship. Champions League for the first time in 2009-2010. Really? Okay, uh, that's not where uh, I thought you would late, go with that, but that's fair. You know, the late Kabul cross to Peter Crouch that CL Champions League, I just, I have such vivid memories of what a moment that was, and you know, it was like, it was this, it, it was this moment where we had been like kind of at a culmination of what we'd been working for for years and City had just bought their way towards and they were very much the favorites for top four. Well, do you remember so they, they got their they got the that man?
0: keeper brought back on a, some like or they what would they do they loaned in some bullshit keeper on a rule that like they shouldn't have been able to do? But
1: yeah, they uh, oh, fuck. He was an ex spurs player. What the hell was his name?
0: I can't remember. But like, like their I first remember... two keepers were injured, and they were like allowed to bring in another keeper they shouldn't have been allowed to bring in.
1: Um. Yeah, listener, someone respond to this tweet and tell me the name of that goalkeeper because it's gonna drive me insane. Um, but yeah, he played out of his mind against us. And then I remember years later, he had he got loaned in in a similar situation, I think for West Brom, for Ars- against Arsenal, and he completely shat the bed and like <laughs> shipped like five goals, and it was just like just a fucking nightmare. Cerny was that who it was? I,
0: you're asking the wrong guy. Sorry, I don't
1: know. Cerny? I don't know how you say his name uh but yeah that's that's the goal for me because like we took that we took that fourth spot from man City, who everyone felt like was going to get it, they bought their way towards it, and uh we did it.
0: <laughs> we made them wait another
1: year, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all been downhill for man City since then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Michael, what's your sort of like seminal city performance
2: yeah i i mean, I think the thing with this game is that the stakes were lower than a lot of other city games. This like just purely as a hundred minutes of football to play this well, and then seem to give it up at the very end of regular time and then win on our next possession in stoppage time is incredible. Like that that's a, a better sort of dramatic narrative of a game combined with a quality performance. Um, I think that like, you know, you can then compare to the stakes of getting into the champions league or, you know, getting to the champ, getting to the champions league semifinal, like those are higher stakes and those are more fun that way. The other game that I remember really, really clearly and like, it's a little bit sad because it didn't end up mattering as much is the game we won against them in 11, 12 under AVB when Huddleston Huddleston. came on and, and and we brought on Huddleston and Huddleston somehow like sprayed the ball wide and it completely screwed them up. And the seven minutes,
0: the the seven minutes of fury. Is that the one where Dempsey and Defoe and Bale all scored? Or is
2: that? Yeah.
1: I think that's the same game.
0: Yeah, we're... Oh, man. It was a
1: Tom Huddleston masterclass, though. That's... You're right. That's what turned the game around. Tom came on and was just, like, spraying balls, playing through balls.
0: I went to a wedding the night before that game. I remember being in a hotel in Richmond, and I'm watching that game getting really irritated, and I went and took a shit. And, like, by the time I left the bathroom, we were, like... (laughs) We were winning. It was like we were losing. And I come out of the bathroom and we scored three goals. And it was like, what the hell happened? And my wife was like, I don't know. I'm not watching it. So, anyway, that was a weird
1: game. <laughs> Wasn't your first game as a Spurs fan watching a Joe yes. Hart masterclass against us?
0: Yes. Yes. Spurs beat the living breaks off of City. Uh, it was the first game of the 2010 season. And uh, I was thinking about being a City fan. I was leaning towards Spurs. Because City played. I was going to be a City fan that summer after the world cup because it was like oh it'll be fun to root for the bad guy like you know because i like wrestling and then they played a friendly in baltimore which is just like every negative thing an american would ever say about soccer and i was just like yeah no manchester city not for me and then they played that first game against uh city at the beginning of the year and we beat their brains in like gareth bale was just peppering their goal and joe hart just like stood on his head and kept everything out i mean and I don't know that that for whatever reason, that performance really struck a chord for me. And it was just kind of over after that. But I mean, as, as influential as that was for me and my Spurs fandom, I, I, for me, it's got to be that Champions League semifinal. That is like one of the most up and down games I've ever seen as any sports fan in any sport. It was I mean, just like, you know, the first like, what was it, 30 minutes where Son and Aguero were just throwing haymakers at each other. And then Sissoko gets hurt and we're just hanging on by the skin of our teeth. And Lorente scores that late goal off his hip. I mean, and then, and then VAR like in the 95th minute, it was just, uh, you know, beating city in it. I didn't think it was going to get better than that. And then we played Ajax and it got much better than that. But just, I, I love that we are city's bogey team. It's, it's, it's funny and it's great. And it's, you can never count on it, but it's still extremely funny when it works out in our favor. <laughs>
1: Yeah, City. (laughs) I just, I, like, I never think that I hate them, like, compared to all the other teams I hate, which is, like, so many teams, (laughs) you know, it's like, their money is somehow a little more innocuous than Chelsea's, because it came later, and so I, like, I resent it a little less, you know, they're not from London, they don't have... They're not Liverpool, who are just fucking disgusting and shitty and, like, have terrible fans. Like, there are no Man City fans in the United States of America. And, like, that really, like, kind of, like, softens my feelings towards them. Like, There's just people who own City jerseys.
0: Yeah, there's just people who own City jerseys. There's no real City fans over here.
1: But, like, yeah, I just fucking, I just, I hate them. Like, they're just the shittiest, chippiest, whiniest little fucking team like i think back to like when like balatelli st- stamped on scott parker and i'm just like yeah why have i ever forgotten how much i hate these guys <laughs> like they're awful well there's also that like
0: thing of like and i feel like no one talks about this but like now that they're under pep like pep's teams are incredibly dirty teams like they fall into like like, they make their bones. And he made his bones. You go back and watch his, like, peak Barca teams. One of the things they do is, like, because they have all their preset defensive positioning and all those other bullshit. But one of the reasons they preserve that is, like, oh, no, if you've actually transitioned to attack, they'll tactically foul you so they can get into the right positions. They, I mean, they're such a dirty team. And there is a point at which, I think there's, a, in that video, that's going around of Benton Kerr's tackles. Like, Benton Kerr makes, like, sort of a, kind of a nasty, but whatever, not not like a card tackle but a tackle on De Bruyne he made a tactical foul he makes a tactical foul on De Bruyne and De Bruyne is like raising his hand yelling about it and it's like it's like oh that's some that's fucking rich like a city player complaining about a tactical foul i i fucking hate watching them i hate playing them i hate watching them i hate that they're so good they could at least be like pellegrini and mancini city where like they were good but like you know you could beat them <laughs> if you weren't spurs <laughs>
1: Yeah, other teams would have a chance to beat them, too. <laughs> yeah, at, at at some point, like,
2: there had to become a point when Man City would become villains, given how good they are and how disgusting the way they became good is and how easily hateable Pep is. And it it really speaks to, like, the degree of spite in my heart for all of the other teams it's taken so long to really 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 enjoy city suffering but i I think i'm getting there
0: but i think it's because like ben said there's no city fans at least in america and i get the feeling that even in england it's not like liverpool fans or chelsea fans or united fans like i mean maybe it's a little different for united fans because they live there but like They're not this like obnoxious mass of people that you interact with. Like all the American city fans I've ever interacted with are like people cosplaying as like 45 year olds who were like, you know, have failing marriages and root for Manchester city because they don't want to like, they don't want to be new money like Chelsea. So they want to pretend that they were miserable on main road and not like, you know, nouveau riche kids who
1: like just followed it for, you know, Aguero or whatever. I mean, if you're a Spurs fan who lives in Manchester and you told me Man City was your most hated team, like more than Arsenal, more than Chelsea, I would not only buy it, I would 100% support it. Like I can, I can't imagine what it would be like living where there's like a mass of people who are like that.
0: But I don't know, like they might just be miserable 45 year olds who are happy they finally won the lottery. Like there's a level of that I can I hate respect them
1: too. So, I, it's,
0: yeah, fair it's, enough. Fair enough. <laughs> It's just, they're so, it's like they figured it out in this really specific way that obviously made sense and they were able to buy, but there's something frustrating about like, you know, it was like, like Pellegrini is what I'm like, Pellegrini City is like what I'm kind of comfortable with. Like they're good. They might win the league, but they're not like sort of in this other stratosphere where that's what it feels like City are now. It's just like enormously irritating to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, like the only things I have left to like really root for in life are Newcastle getting relegated and Man City never winning the Champions League.
0: Not, not, not Spurs <laughs> winning something. You're not, that's not. That's no. Nowhere. Okay, fair enough.
1: Like, that's. Hard. I'm not like, I'm not at the point where I can believe in that yet. Like that was a goal of mine, but like it, in these rebuilding years, while we're transitioning to like being a team capable of winning things, all I have is like spite, and like Liverpool already <laughs> fucked me by winning the league so like this is really all i've got left is just like i hope these fucking shitty teams fail very publicly and very visibly Look, in a way that i could, can
0: you could do what i do which is hope that um you know Mikel arteta is a friend with certain people who have been who have committed suicide in their hotel, in their prison cells. You know, you could always hope something like that happens. So does
1: McKellar tend know Jeffrey Epstein?
0: <laughs> that's what I hope, Ben. That's that's what I'm living off <laughs> of. That's the level of spite you could also sustain yourself on.
1: Alright, I can get behind that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. City are very like I don't know. As in Jeffrey. America, I don't I'd love to know what it's like in England. Because in America it's just like I, like there's a handful of people who are just randomly City fans. And then there's, like, but it's mostly teenagers wearing, like, a De Bruyne jersey or a Aguero jersey. And they, like, could barely tell you who they played for. So, but they're annoying as shit. (laughs) Anyway.
1: That's the important part.
0: So, yeah, it's weird how much we enjoy this fixture, despite the fact that we don't have the same level of spite to sustain us as we do with other teams. Uh on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh Ben, where can people find you on the internet?
1: <laughs> uh you can find me on Twitter at ComradeUspers.
0: And Michael, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm
2: MC of A with some uh, you know, underscores in there and you can uh, check out you want to hear me talk about soccer even more and, and then pay for it? That seems like a great idea. You can go to patreon.com slash double pivot and uh, you know, subscribe.
0: Well, and, 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 you know, you should subscribe to Michael's podcast because his podcasting partner has all, had all his possessions taken from him by basically Roman Abramovich. So you should you should pay him so he can get some of it back. Right.
2: Yeah, we didn't eh. get to talk about the possibility of uh, American sanctions <laughs> taking Chelsea away. <laughs> that, that's that's the, that that's the dream. That's don't the
0: don't dream. let anyone tell you not to have dreams, folks.
1: Yeah, I'm not pro sanctions, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> can we have Kai Havertz sent to Tottenham Hotspur? <laughs> on that note, it is time to wrap this up for Ben, for Michael, and for our friend on the slopes, Brian, and for Brett Rainbow. I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.